Hello and welcome to Hillcrest To Go. I'm your host, John Parker. Today, Dr. Tom Goodman begins a new series of sermons on friendship. Today, he shares a message titled, Build Friendships That Build Hope. And now, an important message from Dr. Tom Goodman. So this morning, uh, we began a series on friendship. We've been working through the Gospel of John, and uh, a few weeks ago, we were in John chapter 15 on Jesus' great teaching on friendship. And I told the congregation at that time that studying through that, uh, especially in light of what we've all experienced the last two years, it convinced me that we needed to go a little deeper, make a deeper dive into this understanding of friendship. And so starting today, we're going to begin a short series diving deeper into friendship. We're gonna hit the pause button on our study to the Gospel of John and look at what several passages around God's Word have to say about friendship. Because these last two years have put a real strain on friendships. We were isolated from friends for too long and uh, a lot of us knew friends who broke apart because of various issues the last couple of years. And I think our world is beginning to recognize the consequences of that. We need each other. You know, in uh, the book of Genesis, which begins the Bible, we see a phrase used over and over again. After every act of creation, it says, and God saw that it was good, and God saw that it was good, and God saw that it was good. He said that, uh, we, we see that phrase over and over again until we get to something that God says was not good. He created Adam and he said, it is not good for the man to be alone. We need each other. We were designed to be with other people, to support them and gain support from them. Easter is a perfect day to remember this truth because in one of the most important chapters in the Bible about the resurrection, the Apostle Paul said that you need to choose people as your friends who believe the resurrection also. So he's saying it's not just enough for you to personally believe in the resurrection story, the Easter resurrection story of Jesus and our future resurrection as believers. Uh, it's not just important for us to believe that, we need to surround ourselves with people who believe that too. Now, um, what I want us to focus on today is just two verses from 1 Corinthians 15, verses 33 and 34. But to help you get the context, I, I want to read a few more verses that lead up to verses 33 and 34. So let's begin in verse 3 of 1 Corinthians 15. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Now verse 12. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. Now verses 33 and 34. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Come back to your senses as you ought and stop sinning. For there are some who are ignorant of God. I say this to your shame. Now, in those last two verses that I read, Paul begins with a general principle about the impact that friends make upon our lives. And then he moves to the specific application he was wanting to make in 1 Corinthians 15. In 1 Corinthians 15, the entire chapter is about 
resurrection life, the Easter resurrection of Jesus, and then our own future resurrection. When we gather into uh, a setting like this on Easter Sunday, of course we're celebrating Jesus' resurrection, we're celebrating his victory over the grave, his victory on behalf of us, but we're also seeing in his glorious resurrection a glimpse of our own future. We, we see in his resurrection what is going to happen to us who believe in him at the end of time. And so Paul applies this general principle very specifically to our need to surround ourselves with people who believe as we are supposed to believe in the resurrection of the body. So we need to build friendships that build hope. I want us to do as the Apostle Paul did. I want us to start with a general principle and then go to the specific application. So in your sermon notes, write this down. Who you hang with has a big influence on your attitudes and choices. You can find your sermon notes inside your printed bulletin. Those of you who are watching online, you can also find them in our online bulletin. And this first point is important. Who you hang with has a big influence on your attitudes and choices. Look at verse 33. He quotes a familiar proverb, bad company corrupts good character. Now I said it's a familiar proverb, but you don't find it in the book of Proverbs in the Old Testament. Of course, the Apostle Paul knew his Bible well, and he quoted from the Old Testament frequently, but it was his calling, his responsibility to reach the outside world, the Gentile world, and so he went out of his Jewish world with the gospel to communicate the good news to Greeks and to Romans who, and to other Gentiles who, who lived uh, uh, around Jerusalem and uh, around the, the Greek and Roman world at that time. And so Paul knew the poets and he knew the philosophers and knew the playwrights of the Greeks and Romans as well. And sometimes for illustration purposes, he would quote them, and he does so here. Here he is quoting a line from a play written by a Greek philosopher named Menander who lived 300 years before Christ. And he wrote a play called Thetis, it was, or Theus. It was about a powerful woman by the same name, Theus. She was a, a woman of Athens. And historians aren't entirely certain whether this proverb came out of that play or uh, uh, Menander quoted this proverb because it was already proverbial, already familiar in the world around them at that time. But it rings true these 2,300 years later, right? Good or a bad company corrupts good character. You know, in, two, in 2009, two research scientists named Nicholas Christakis and James Fowler published a book called Connected. And uh, they analyzed over 53,000 social connections between 5,000 people across time. And they found out just how deeply our social connections uh, really go. As Dr. Christakis puts it, most people will not be surprised that people with more friends are happier, but what really matters is whether those friends are happy. The researchers calculated that a happy friend increases your odds of being happy 15%. According to their research, that's three times the odds of you being happy because you got a $10,000 pay raise. It's a remarkable thing. And, and, and it's not just though your immediate friends that uh, uh, determine whether you're going to be happy, but it's the friends of your friends that determine if you're going to be happy. Even if you don't know them, you're part of that complex social network where you are connected to people who are connected to people. And according to the research here, it, 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 they, they found out that what you believe about things whether you think your thinking is normal or needs to be changed, 
It's all impacted by this social network that you are a part of. And, and so things such as obesity, things such as smoking, so things such as heavy drinking, all of these things are, are either increased or decreased based upon the social network that you find yourself in. So isn't that interesting? For two years, we've all worried about viral <coughs> contagion, but we haven't thought near enough about social contagion. When we are with people and, and they are with other friends we haven't even met, the, the, the social network influences us in a positive way or a negative way. Uh, Christian Schultz of the University of Amsterdam drew the same conclusion. He told the BBC, the leading cause of death is preventable health behaviors. And we have access to a vast amount of information online. But he says that despite whatever facts we have out there and whatever intellectual knowledge we have out there, it is our social networks, it's our connections of friends and friends of friends that help us process through and think through whether we're going to take seriously all that information that we have that could make us healthier. And her book, Thir 13 Things Mentally Strong People Don't Do, psychotherapist Amy Morin laid out the results of a bunch of studies, and here's what she concluded. You're likely to start acting like the people you surround yourself with. Pick friends who make poor choices and you could get dragged down fast, but if you choose friends who inspire and challenge you to become better, you'll increase your chances of reaching your goals. Now, none of these things should surprise us. All this research just tells us that your mama was right. <laughs> Who you hang with is going to have a positive or negative influence on your attitudes and on your choices. Where will you be in life 10 years from now? What kind of person will you be? Even if I don't know you well, I can take a pretty good guess by looking at the people you hang around with in real life and online because this proverb is true. Bad uh, choices uh, corrupt good character. So that's the general principle. In 1 Corinthians, Paul is writing to mostly Gentile Christians who've been raised in Greek and Roman culture, and he quotes a proverb that had circulated in their culture for at least 300 years. But he quotes this general principle to make a very specific point. So write this point down. Choose companions who help you hope in the resurrection. Choose companions who help you hope in the resurrection. So he states this general principle about bad company corrupting good character, but then he applies it specifically to the things that we just celebrated, the things that we just sang about. It's, it's not enough for us to just personally believe these things ourselves. We need to surround ourselves with people who believe these things too. Now, why is it important that we believe this? Why is it important that we surround ourselves with people who believe this? Andrew Del Banco wrote a book called The Real American Dream. It had the subtitle, A Meditation on Hope. And here's what he writes. We must imagine some end to life that transcends our own tiny allotment of days and hours if we are to keep at bay the dim back of the mind suspicion that we are adrift in an absurd world. What was he saying there? He is saying that you need to know the story you're living in. He is saying that every one of us are living in some sort of story. It's not just that we're bouncing around like a pinball machine, uh, uh, like a pinball in a pinball machine. We, we, we need to understand that there is a story that we're in that is going somewhere that has, has an end to it. And if we, if we don't understand that and if we don't have that, if we don't grasp the story, we're simply going to end our lives in despair. 
All of 1 Corinthians 15 is about a story that is going somewhere. It's one of the longest chapters in the New Testament. The whole chapter, as I said, is about the resurrection truth, about the Easter resurrection of Jesus and about our future resurrection. That's what 1 Corinthians 15 is all about. Just as Jesus was raised from the dead, we will, we will be too. Now, now, a lot of people are confused. A lot of Christians are confused as to why this is part of the Christian story. I, I, I mean, for some people, they acknowledge it, you know, when they're reciting a, a creed or when they're answering a Sunday school lesson, they acknowledge that there is something called the resurrection at the end of time, but they just don't know how it fits into the story. I mean, uh, you know, isn't it enough to believe that there's a heaven and God is there and our friends and family have gone on before us are there and one day when we die, we can sort of escape the pain of this earth and the pain of these bodies and be there ourselves? Why do we need this weird addition in the story about uh, God raising up our bodies at the end of time? Well, I've shared this illustration uh, with this congregation before, but have you ever seen the movie Red Dawn? Now, I'm not talking about the cheesy remake from a few years ago. I'm talking about the cheesy original from a few decades ago starring Patrick Swayze. Now, according to the basic plot of this, this movie, uh, communist Russia invades the United States, takes over the United States, and a scrappy group of high schoolers fend off the Russian invaders, and eventually America wins because America rocks. <laughs> now listen, there are some movies that are so bad you can't get through them once. And then there are some movies that you see over and over again no matter what your wife says. <laughs> Red Dawn is one of those movies. And, uh, but let's imagine that that really happened. Let's imagine that after Russia was done with Ukraine, maybe the Balkans, they decided to invade the United States and they took over the United States. And uh, a scrappy group of people resisted them and pushed them back. And we were able to win back most of the United States except for New England. And the Russian flag still flew over New England. Now, despite all our regional rivalries as Americans, would we be happy with that scenario? Would we say, well, you know, we got most of our country back, and besides, we never really liked New Englanders all that much anyway. <laughs> we, we probably wouldn't say that. We would continue to resist, we would continue to fight until all that had been our nation's land was our nation's land once again. That's why the resurrection is part of the story. God created this world. He created your bodies to live in this world. And, you know, if, if the salvation story was just that we escape this world and we escape these bodies and go to heaven when we die, God would not say, well, at least that's something. You know, I, I, I don't get the world I created. I don't get these bodies I created. Sin corrupted that and ruined that. But at least I get their souls. God wouldn't say that. You see, God's victory over sin is not finished until he fixes all that sin messed up. And sin messed up this world, and sin messed up our experience in these bodies in this world. The resurrection is part of the story because God gets the glory by giving us bodily resurrection where he wins back this world and wins back even these bodies in this world that have been corrupted by sin. That's the attitude that God has toward uh, this world and toward our bodies. Now, you need to understand this. What you believe about that, that I just said, what you believe about the future, it impacts how you think about living in these bodies now. 
These eyes are meant for eternity. What are you using these eyes for right now to see? Are you using these eyes to see things that you should not see? This mouth was designed for eternity. Are you using your mouth to lie about other people, to slander other people, to bring them down? Or are you using this mouth to build people up? These hands were designed for eternity. Are you using your hands to fight, to steal, to reach out and touch things that you should not touch? You see, what you believe about this world and about this body and what God designed this body for is going to make all the difference in the attitudes you hold now and the decisions you make now. And, and the same is also true if you just believe that we spent a few decades in these bodies and then we just become fertilizer six feet under. Or if you believe that somehow the, the body goes away and, and our spirit or at least our life force you know, exists in some vague way out there, but it has nothing to do with the body. If you believe that, it's also going to impact your attitudes and your life choices even right now. Over and over again, the Bible tells us that what we believe about the future impacts our choices, impacts our attitudes, impacts our decisions right now. So we find in 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 13 and 14, in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So then, you notice that? Here's the application. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. So Paul was telling the Christians in Corinth, you're not living in alignment with the things you've been taught. You're not living in alignment with the things you say you believe. But he wants them to know why they're not living in alignment with the things they say they believe. Because they have surrounded themselves with people who don't believe those things themselves. And so they are negatively impacted by that. When he used this, at that time, 300-year-old phrase, bad company corrupts good character, what was his definition of bad company in that sense? It was those who didn't believe the resurrection story that I just described to you. Now, was he telling us to separate from the world then and never associate with people who don't believe like we believe? Of course not. That would not be possible to do and it would not be desirable to do. We work and we go to school and we sit at family reunions with people who don't believe this resurrection story that we're celebrating today. And we need to enjoy their company. We need to influence them positively with our witness. But Paul was saying our closest companions need to be people who believe the gospel along with us. Paul is saying if those you choose as your closest companions have a different understanding about the future than you do, then that is going to eventually uh, uh, impact your understanding of the gospel until you find yourself further and further and further away from believing the gospel yourself. So you need to build friendships that build hope. You need friendships to help you remember the gospel. You know the word gospel? You know what it means? It means God's spell. It means God's story. God's way of seeing things. And God's story is that he created you to have a relationship with you. And even with our sin and rebellion against him, God didn't abandon us he came to do the work that we could not do ourselves. He came in Jesus to live 
our life, to die our death as our substitute, bearing the punishment for our sin. And when he rose on Easter, it was the pattern of what God intends our future to be and our bodily resurrection, to be raised like Christ was raised in glory. Now, that's not the story the world tells you. You're not going to find that story, at least in its fullness and in its completion, in the songs you listen to on the radio or the movies you watch or uh, the, the novels that you like to read. That's probably the case. Where are you going to find that? You're going to find that among other believers. And that's why Paul was saying you need to pay attention to the people you're surrounding yourself with so that you can continue to believe this story and continue to understand the application of this story to your life right here and now. Now, if that's true, and it is, then there are four application points uh, that we need to take out of this building today. So write these down on your sermon notes. First of all, come to your senses about your influences. Come to your senses about your influences. That's the way Paul put it in verse 34. Come back to your senses. This verse could be literally translated, wake up or sober up. In other words, he said to the Corinthians, you're in this, this fog of senselessness. You're not aware of the fact that the people around you are negatively impacting you because they don't believe the resurrection story like you need to believe it. Clear away the fog, he said, and realize how the people you hang with are impacting you. And that may mean that you might need to do some tidying up of your relationships. You know, Marie Kondo built a empire, teaching people how to tidy up their lives. And one of the things she said about how to tidy up your life is to go into a room and very slowly, very methodically, very carefully pick up each item, each object in that room and quietly ask yourself the question, what is it? Does this spark joy? I wonder if we shouldn't do that with the people we keep up with on social media. I wonder if that's something that maybe we need to do when it comes to how many hours we spend with that outrage machine called a news program. I wonder if that's what we need to do when it comes to the people we regularly fish with or the ladies we hang out with in a ladies uh, book club. Again, just like I said before, none of this should lead you to the impression that I'm saying that we should completely separate ourselves from people who don't think as we think. I'm not saying that at all, but I do think that what we need to do is take a look at the people who are impacting us, the people who are influencing us, and we ought to ask, does this relationship spark joy? Does this relationship draw me closer to or get me further away from the things that I'm supposed to believe about the gospel? We need to think about that. Uh, now here's a second application. Be the kind of friend you need to find. Now, the focus in 1 Corinthians 15 was Paul was saying, you need to watch out for the people that you're letting influence your life. But maybe one application of that is we need to ask ourselves, am I the kind of person that Paul was warning against? You know, C.S. Lewis was an English Oxford uh, professor. He was uh, uh, somebody who wrote a lot of books. You're familiar with some of them, The Chronicles of Narnia or a series of children's books that C.S. Lewis wrote. He also, from time to time, as a layman in the Anglican church, had an opportunity to lecture or preach. And uh, in one of his sermons called The Weight of Glory, it's one of his most famous talks, he talked about the burden or concern or weight of responsibility we have for our neighbors, 
future glory. Here's what he said. The load or weight or burden of my neighbor's glory should be laid daily on my back. It is a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses. Now, he didn't say that we were going to become gods and goddesses. He was using that in a poetic sense. But let me say it again. It is a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses. To remember that the dullest, most uninteresting person you talk to may one day be a creature which, if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship or else a horror and a corruption such as you now meet, if at all, only in a nightmare. All day long, we are in some degree helping each other to one or other of these destinations. It is in the light of these overwhelming possibilities. It is with the awe and circumspection proper to them that we should conduct all our dealings with one another, all friendships, all loves, all play, all politics. There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilization, these are mortal, and their life is to ours as to the life of a gnat. But it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. Immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. That is an incredibly profound insight. And I hope you caught what he was trying to say. Paul here in this passage in 1 Corinthians 15 was saying to the people, you need to watch out who you are letting influence you. But we need to ask ourselves, are we the kind of people Paul was warning against? How are we influencing people? How are we impacting people? Are we bringing them closer and closer to understanding the gospel and the implications of the gospel for our lives? That certainly is a great weight of glory that C.S. Lewis talked about. And parents, that includes the influence that you have and that you see too of the influence that others have over your children. So that's the third thing to write down. Surround your kids with other kids who are learning to love Jesus. Now, should your kids be in sports and should they be in band with a, and, and in other activities with kids who don't know Jesus, as I've said already, of course. But who's got their attention? What social media influencers have their attention? What celebrity, what musicians are really shaping their lives? What friends are they really depending on for guidance? Do any of these people believe the gospel story? If the gospel story shapes your attitudes and actions, when you become a parent, when that little bundle is placed in your hands, then a great responsibility is laid on your shoulders to make sure that not only are you influenced, by the gospel, but you're letting your children be influenced by the gospel too. It's not enough just for them to personally believe it. You need to surround them with other kids who love Jesus like they do. And here's a fourth application and we're done. Believe the gospel story. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul was writing to Christians. Paul was writing to people who already believe the gospel story. And he said, you need to live out the implications of this story. You need to live in alignment with the values of this story. But what's the first thing that you've got to do then? You've got to believe the story. And then throughout the rest of your life, it's just a matter of getting in alignment with the story you say you believe. And so do you believe the gospel story? If not, today is the day to do that. You know, Paul began this long chapter in 1 Corinthians 15 in this way. I didn't quote this, but he began this long chapter in 1 Corinthians in this way. By this gospel, you are saved. 
Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried. He was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. By this gospel, you are saved. In his book, um, The Scandal of Jesus, a professor named uh, Vinoth Ramanchandra said that in his, his country of Sri Lanka, there are people who occasionally ask him as a Christian, don't you believe that salvation is found in other faiths? And Ramachandra says, what salvation are you talking about? Not this salvation, not the salvation that's been described today. Where else are you going to find salvation described as a new heaven and a new earth and you being resurrected bodily to live in glory on that new heaven and new earth? If you're looking for that kind of salvation, that kind of salvation is not found in other faiths because no other faith defines salvation in that way. You see, so many times we have this big debate about whether Jesus is the only way to salvation. And I would want to ask you the same thing that this professor asked people as well. What salvation are you looking for? What salvation are you talking about? If you're talking about this salvation, not only is it defined in Christian terms, but it is also the route to it is found in Christian terms as well. You need to believe this gospel story and then spend the rest of your life living in alignment with it, getting in alignment with it like we've been talking about today. And so what we need to do is looking at this passage of scripture, understand how deeply we are impacted by the people we choose to hang with. And then very specifically, we need to recognize that if the people we choose to hang with don't believe the gospel story like we say we do, then we need to make sure that that's not the main source of influence in our lives. Let us influence them, but let's make sure that we're surrounding ourselves with other people who help us make the right decisions and make the right choices for our lives, people who believe the gospel like we do. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Now, Father, you want us to have friends who spark joy, friends who strengthen our hope in the gospel story. Help us to find those kinds of friends and help us to be that kind of friend to others. And we pray for those who need to believe the gospel story today. Help them to join us in Christ. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. This concludes our podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. Join us next time as Dr. Goodman continues his friend series with a sermon titled, Reaching Others with Others. I'm your host, John Parker, and this has been Hillcrest To Go. For more information, please contact us at hillcrest.church.